Acts chapter 3, and uh, we'll be in verses um, 1 through 16 this morning. Signs, wonders, faith, the focus, and foundation. Now we're going to talk about that this morning. I did have an alternate title that was something like Signs, Wonders, and Miracles, Oh My, but it's only funny if you've seen Wizard of Oz, and so. <laughs> okay, well, we've been... Um, you know, what, what took us so long in the beginning of Acts and um, why I spent the amount of time that we did was because um, the tendency is to just sort of read through something, uh, presume the um, point of it and the foundation of it. And so we were super careful to make sure as we were reading about Pentecost and speaking in tongues and all that stuff to lay down the purpose and so that everybody was on the same page and uh, we didn't wind up assuming something that wasn't true or something as normative that uh, I don't think particularly is. And so um, this morning is uh, past one through uh, the first major miracle of Acts besides um, Jesus' ascension and speaking in tongues. I mean, there's already been miracles here, but um, this morning I just want to particularly focus on the point of uh, miracles and their function in the church and how they function within the book, and then uh, from there, we will uh, take it again next week, and then look at how this particular function is laid out in the narrative for the specific purpose, and that sounds super dry, I know, but it's, it won't be. <laughs> um, so with that said this morning, grab your Bibles, uh, we'll read together uh, verses 1 through 16, and um, then we'll uh, see what the Lord would have for us. Now before we get to um, verse 1, you need to cast your eyes up a few verses and look at 43 of chapter 2. Because it says something uh, happening within the body of believers. So in chapter 2, verses 43, um, it says that there's all that came upon every soul. That's all the believers that were there. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So chapter 3 starts the unpacking of the wonders and signs being accomplished. So here we go, starting the narrative in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which is the ninth hour. That's about 3 o'clock in American. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. That's Basically, hand out. Like, I, I need something from you. He asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And so he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw, excuse me, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. And 
and um, his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health and the presence of you all. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning as we, um, we turn our hearts uh, to your word, and that we turn our minds to your word, that we would set our attention on um, seeing um, what you're pointing to through the spectacular. Uh, may we not get caught up in the story or the supernatural narrative, but see what you're doing through it so that we might understand and behold you better. Father, I ask that um, as a church that we would be a people who are expectant for what you would do, that we rest on your power, that we put you at the center of our lives, and that we find you doing amazing things, not um, somewhere distant in the past, but even now among us. Father, be with our hearts and our eyes and our ears this morning. Give us your spirit that we might receive truth. Know it, be formed and shaped by it. Father, I ask that I would decrease and you would increase and only you would be seen and known this morning. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, I mean, I think re- like reading, reading scripture at all, you're, you have to assume with, with, the, with what you're getting what's inherent in the product. Um, you're reading about a God who is outside of natural time, space, what you know and what you perceive and what you count on and what you regulate all of your expectations off of, right? This is, this is true about Scripture. And so um, I think when we read about something like this in the church, um, there's, there's like obviously two ways that we can go with it. And, um, and so I, I'm just going to talk a little bit about church, church doctrine, but not for the sake of boring you or anything like that, but just to, to separate out... Um, probably the, the, middle, the middle ground that we should walk. So there, there's two ways to go with this. It's either us being expectant that God will always act like this all the time, and he'll constantly be doing uh, miracles, and we should see this as evidence of God's presence in the world. And so um, when, when we look at the world this way, and the only way that we see God working is by miracles or the spectacular healings, that leads to kind of one way uh, of looking at um, at everything, and it and it kind of leads to either super big disappointments or super false expectations for other people. Because um, for you, the greatest evidence that God is who He says He is, and that He's amazing, and all those things, is these spectacular works. And when those don't come by way of your prayer or your expectations or your asking, then it's either hard for you to understand why that's happened, and then it's hard for you to tell other people why that hasn't happened. And um, so, so I said, we'll get to the point of church doctrine here. So th- there's generally two, two uh, roads here, and uh, one, one is called cessationism, okay? Which is just a term that says that certain ways that we saw the Spirit acting in Scripture have ceased. That doesn't mean the Spirit has ceased to work certain kinds of miracles. Now, the other side of that would be known as, like, Charismatic or Pentecostalism. Charismatic isn't really a good term for that because um, the the word charismatic just means charis comes from the Greek term grace. So it's not really indicative of what what the actual belief is, but it's kind of the the, the idea that the Holy Spirit should always be doing the kinds of things that we see in the church at the beginning of Acts. Now, 
This is why it's super important that we laid down the foundation at the beginning, because um, if you ask the question, which you should ask, which is why don't I see God working like this in, in my life? Like, why isn't there a cell phone recording of some guy who's a lame, known, known you know, paraplegic or something, uh, jumping up and suddenly being able to walk? Like, why doesn't that exist? And if it does, um, maybe you've seen it. I haven't. And uh, so, so that question sticks in the proverbial craw of those who don't believe and even those who do believe because it's hard for us to sort out, okay, well, you know, what is the function of miracles and what is the function of what's happening here? And so um, here's uh, overall what, what you need to focus on. We need to focus on, first of all, the focus of, of where the, the narrative is pointing us in, in this scripture and that will help you discern something particular, okay? So, so um, you see the phrase, signs and wonders, okay? This is the phrase that's going to pop up all through Acts. And um, it's always accompanied by uh, another bigger, if I could say it that way, another bigger purpose, okay? And so attaching the, the, the work of God to some greater purpose is inherent in these two, these two words, what are signs and what are wonders meant to do? Are they in and of themselves the, the ends or are they a means to a, a bigger end? So the, the middle of the road says that um, cessationism is, is probably too wet blanket on the Holy Spirit. God can do whatever he wants to do and he has the power to do that and he's clearly done that in history. But, now this is a big but, okay? But, that the uniqueness of what's happening in Acts and the importance of the verification of who the apostles are and the new covenant being installed cannot be understated. So that if God was working in this way at all times, it wouldn't be unique. Okay? So I have a, a couple ways that we can approach this to try and discern what is best. But the middle of the road says, I, I can't say God will not, it cannot work this way, but I'm not going to expect him to work this way because, because he's told me that there's a greater purpose for this. It's not just the fact that people can be healed. So, um, so what should we expect and how should we approach this? So I think, I've wondered, maybe you have secretly wondered occasionally why we don't experience miracles like this all the time. And so this is, um, I think, a, a problem because we would say, wouldn't it be easier wouldn't it be easier to follow God? Or wouldn't it be easier to present God to other people if all you had to do was heal somebody and then you say, and this was done by, by Jesus. Wouldn't that be so much easier than trying to convince them of some other thing? So um, if you've thought this, you're not alone. Um, it was actually in, it's actually in the psalm that I read at the beginning of uh, worship this morning. In Psalm 77, um, if you look at what the psalmist is saying in, in this particular instance, he has to look backwards at things God used to do. And he's wondering why, because of the lack of, you know, perceptible activity in his own life, why is it that God is, he says, God, why have you forgotten me? Have your, have your wonders and your works ceased? Okay? So if you want to just scribble down Psalm 77 and read it for yourself. Okay? So, so even, even in Old Testament, there, there's um, a, an overall narrative where there are, if you want to say, concentrations or rashes of miracles. And they're always surrounding a particular point where God is changing something, either in how he's dealing with people or he's 
um, giving a new message, and that message needs to be authenticated. So that's, that's an important thing. And if I just say, for the sake of argument, um, I have a message from God, and here's what he wants you to know, and I, just sp- and I spelt that off. Now, how do you know what I have to say is, is truly from God? Well, you don't. You, sh- you're, you should be very skeptical of anybody that says that, okay? And even more to the point, even if I say an angel showed up and told me that this is the message from God. Now, this is specifically, like, precluded in Scripture by Paul. He says, even, like, it doesn't matter if another person claiming to be an apostle shows up, even if an angel shows up and gives you another gospel, another message, besides the one that we delivered to you, don't listen, okay? But the importance of them being authenticated when I say them, that's the apostles, and the message they delivered can't be understated because the signs and wonders are always accompanying the apostles or the message of Jesus Christ. So, so this is important because, um, because that's what the, the miracles and the signs are, are doing and that's what they're accompanying. So, so we don't live in a less, a less spiritual, a less Holy Spirit-empowered time than what we see in Acts. In fact, I, I think... What, what we should um, pay heed to is that the fact that we don't see certain people that are equipped to do healings and miracles like this points to the fact that, that Jesus has so, uh, his name is so spread and so um, functionally gotten to different kinds of peoples and there's so many different churches. There is no one, there is no one leadership. Does that make sense? Whereas for, there, this is all that existed, okay, of the church right now in the beginning, in Jerusalem. These, these guys had to have some power, some authenticating witness to what they are saying is true. Are you at least checking with that, that need? Okay, so then today, that message has been delivered, and there's nobody that needs to step up and say, hey, I am the leader of the church. I have a, I have a message from God that you need here that would need that kind of accompanying witness. Are you checking with that? Okay, so if you can hold those two things, then you should understand um, that we're, we're not living in a different kind of time. We're, we're living in sort of the, the afterwash, and the good, the, that is a good thing, not a bad thing, that, um, that we don't see these kinds of activities in the same way. Now, can God heal people? That's, that's not a rhetorical question. Can God heal people? Okay, does he heal people? Okay, does he have healers that heal people? Your answer to that should be no. So, so gifts of healings is what it said in 1 Corinthians, and not healers. Okay? So, so that, that's something we could talk about later. That wasn't the point. So um, to sort of look at what's happening at the beginning here of the church and maybe be frustrated by the fact that we don't see God working in the same way and in our hearts to sort of to despise the reality that he is, he's working in a different way, and, and even better on our behalf. And so, um, you know, Eva is um, our daughter, okay? And so she's known in our house for being, like, extra, okay? She's extra about everything. Like, the other day, we have these, like, special, like, goblets. I think they were literally, like, our drinking glasses from our wedding, okay? And um, I'm like, why are these out of the cabinet? And uh, Rebecca's like, I have no idea. Well, come to find out, Eva just wanted to eat some yogurt, Okay? Now, if you don't see where this is going, Eva can't eat yogurt out of a bowl like every normal human being. Okay? She's got to get a goblet and, like, you know, sprinkle, like, you know, crystallized sugar on it, whatever. And uh, so this is why Eva's extra, okay? So I go, we go to Eva, 
And we're like, look, we love her for this, by the way, but because if it's your turn to be celebrated, she's the best at that, okay? So, so, um, so she's, she's great at that, but everything has to be like Instagram perfect for her. And um, so that makes it hard because you're like, sometimes it's okay to just be normal, right? And that normal is, is just, it's good. It's good to be normal. It's good to just have experience because if you're always living in the extra, then it's not, it's not extra. It's not special anymore. Do you see that? Okay. So that if God was always acting like this and always, always doing all of this, it wouldn't be supernatural. You wouldn't say it's a miracle. It's just normal. Are you with that? Okay. So this is, this is uh, sort of helping to focus on, on what's, what's happening. Now, um, in the narrative, we see uh, John and Peter uh, heading to the temple. And so uh, by way of sort of attaching to where we were at before this, we're talking about how they shared everything in common. There's prayer, there's, they're sharing all things, and they're headed to the temple, it says at the third hour. And um, it says they're going for prayer. Now, um, in your mind, you're thinking, oh, they're going, they're going to church service. Yes and no. Um, so, so the temple is not just the place where you go to worship. Um, the temple is like town center, okay? Like it was regular, everybody's going to be there kind of thing. And um, if you notice, not all of the church is, is uh, here at this particular moment. It's just focusing in on, on two guys, which, um, and, and then the, their activity with this, with this lame man at the gate. So we'll, we'll dig into this next week, but there's an important part here where it says, you know, they're going in and the, the man's asking for alms. And, um, and so they, they perform this miracle. And so in the back of your mind, uh, you should be thinking about another time where Jesus um, equipped the disciples to go and be witnesses. Before, before he ascended, he sent them out two by two to go and to, to do all these things. And so they're, they're like, you know, to, to cast out demons and, and to, to do healings and work and all that. And so here it is again. They're doing what they've been taught to do to just go about their lives as they've always done, being now witnesses for Jesus. So this is, if you just want the bullet point from last week, no matter where you are and what you're doing, as you go to town center, you, should, you are equipped to be a witness for Jesus. Now, even more to the point, maybe you guys find this as your life verse, the, the guy's asking for a handout, and he says, silver and gold, I don't, I don't have, right? And we talked about the reality of last week being not that they shared... Uh, all things being about money. See, clearly here in this moment, they don't have, he's got no cash. And so the guy's asking for something. And uh, what, what, what does Peter give the man? That's, that should be, um, should be primary. What is, what is the exchange that actually takes place here? Because he asked him for something. Response is, hey, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. And then everything falls under whatever it is that Peter gives this man. So, if you're paying attention to this narrative, did you, uh, you, did you discern a theme? And maybe you did, and maybe you didn't. But uh, if you go back to where we started in chapter 2, it says all of them were together, and there are many signs and wonders. And it says that there's, um, there's fear and reverence among all of the church. And then, um, as Luke begins to tell this narrative, there's lots of emphasis about places where people are looking. Okay? About places where people are looking. What are, what are people's attention fixed on? So, so if you missed this while I was reading it, right? So they're going, and we have this, uh, this big crowd, and Peter and John are going, and they see, they say they see a man, right, who's sitting outside a, a beautiful gate. 
So if you're thinking of a beautiful gay, of course, that would grab your attention. But they fix their attention on this man. And what do they tell the guy? What do they ask for him? He says, look at, look at us. Look at our faces. He wants his attention. So they, he, the, the lame man gives him his attention. And they have this back and forth exchange. He picks him up. And then it says, they all go into the temple. This man's leaping and praising and shouting for joy. And then what happens? The crowd gathers and they're all what? They're all looking. They're all looking at what has happened. So then Peter sees an opportunity. Okay, says that. He sees this opportunity, recognizes it. Then he says, why do you all look at us? As though it was by our own effort or our piety or our power that made this man. Well, he says, and then he focuses everybody's attention on the one thing that they should be focused on, which is what? Jesus. Okay. Back to the importance of signs and wonders. Um, so this, this phrase that occurs all, all throughout, um, acts all throughout the scriptures, signs, signs and wonders are never an end uh, in and of themselves. This man being healed is hugely beneficial, right? Absolutely life-changing, of course, for a guy that's been lame from birth. But guess what? He, he's going to die. He dies eventually. I'm 100% certain of this. Okay? He's dead. So that healing was, if you want to say it this way, temporary, was it not? So, so there's an activity here that's clearly um, supernatural, outside the bounds of what we can do. And, um, and even in that, it can't be, it cannot be the end in, of itself. It's, that would um, fall far short of God's purposes. And then if you even look at, if I could say, besides Jesus' own resurrection... The greatest, I think, miracle that happens, that's at least recorded, is, is Lazarus, who's been dead for three days, right? Jesus raises Lazarus, and guess what? Lazarus too. Yeah, he's dead. It's also, <laughs> in case you guys didn't know that, right? So Lazarus dies too. So every miracle is meant to do something, which is supposed to be a sign. What does a sign do? It points to something else, some other greater reality of what is true. So, so every Everything that, that Jesus does is called a sign, and it's a sign to a particular person. The, the, this is why um, when Jesus talks about the problem of them seeking a sign, and that Jesus is doing all of these things as signs, and yet they don't perceive what it is that's actually happening. They, don't, they see the sign, but then they go, ah, I don't know if I believe that what that sign's actually pointing to. It's like looking at a sign that says there's a cliff up ahead, Okay. Then going, eh, probably not, right? And then going past it, okay? Are you seeing, this is, this is what's happening in Jesus' day as, as he's performing all these miracles. And he's not performing them, uh, yes, he's doing it out of benevolence, he's doing it out of compassion, because we serve a compassionate God. Um, but these are not the end and of themselves, it's because that the Messiah was prophesied to come and do all these things to heal the sick and the lame and that all of, all, when the kingdom arrived, this is what would happen, right? And so this is what the signs were pointing to, that, that, that Jesus is the Messiah. So um, it occurs to me, it probably didn't occur to you, but it, it, it occurred to me that this is problematic because sometimes scripture sticks and I'm like, yeah, but what about that one place, okay? So, so for me, that one place is... Um, it's actually recorded in, in several of the Gospels where um, Jesus is uh, traveling through a particular area and it says he couldn't perform. He didn't perform many miracles in this one area, right? And, uh, and, it, and it says because of their lack of faith. And so I'm like, but what, 
But so I want to point out a few things because I think I think I resolved this for myself at least, which is this. So it's recorded in a few different places that uh, he, he's traveling, and then along with the fact that he's not doing very many miracles of healings, and it says he's not doing many miracles. Not that he didn't do any. And uh, the way I've almost always heard this taught is that, see, if the people had more faith, then, then Jesus would have done more. That's not what's happening in, this, in the, that text. So let, let me help uh, realign this. So what Jesus actually says when he doesn't do many miracles in that particular region is that a prophet is not without honor except for in his hometown or among his family. And so what's happened in this case is that Jesus is doing these amazing things. He's posting all of these signs. And the response to that is, is disbelief, which is the opposite of faith. Okay? So it's not that he doesn't do any miracles because they didn't believe or they didn't have enough faith to generate miracles for Jesus. He has plenty of power to do any miracle he wants. It's that the miracles that he was doing was not generating faith in the people. Okay? So... Um, with, with that as a, um, as a helpful realignment, I want you to notice something else about what happens for this man. Um, he's sitting outside the temple, and um, up until this point, he's just asking for, for alms. And um, what Peter says is that it's, the, it's faith that has made this man well. Does this man have any faith in Jesus at this point? No. No. So the question besides what does Peter give to this man secondarily is, whose faith, whose faith healed this man? An important, important question uh, that I'll answer next week, but an important one for you to ponder this week as you're, as you're reading through some, some of these things. And um, I, I want to help us see that um, Jesus's uh, miracles that he, he uh, equips the disciples to do, tells them to do, and um, empowers them to do, is, is to point to something that everybody should have had their attention fixed on, that everybody needs to realize was, was the main focus. It wasn't the fact that Peter was able to heal this man or the words that he spoke over him. or right. So wherever else that we might fix our attention in this story is, is not the central focus. The, the point is, like, like for every um, miracle that happens, is that um, we should be fixed on the reality that it's it is through Jesus' name that this man is made well. So it gets to the question of, of faith. Um, so Hebrews says this. Read it, read it out loud with me. Without faith, it is... Okay, if this is true, and it is, it's in Scripture, okay? If this is true, then, then what faith is like is is paramount, is it not? It's, you must know what, what, um, what faith is if, if we have any chance of pleasing God. Well, the rest of this verse is, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those, those who seek him. Well, helpfully, uh, Hebrews 11 gives us a, a definition of faith, okay? So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received, received their commendation. Now before I move on from there, think about how you discern what is, what is true and what is worth promoting. 
What is, what is worth telling other people about? And what it is that you focus on? And, um, and even the, 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 the heart of the idea, the heart behind the idea of that lament that I started out with, which is this. Why, does, why don't we see God, why don't we see God working the way that, this, the way that everybody else saw, saw this man get healed? Now, um, what you're going to find out as Peter takes this opportunity to, to speak about Jesus is that he, he reminds them not only that they were the ones that had Jesus crucified, but he's, he was also the one that was resurrected. He says, the author of life, you killed him, right? And uh, so, so just put, push pause on your life for a second and, and fill the shoes of, of these people. They witnessed Jesus be crucified. The one they offered up, asked for Barabbas instead. They witnessed that. Then they saw him resurrected. He says this, to, to this we are eyewitnesses. He, he's already, he's, he's making the point, you've already seen this, and then, on top of that, now they've seen, they've seen another miracle. And um, so I want to point you to a, a, a deeper reality, that it doesn't matter how spectacular you think something could be for convincing you or other people, it's never enough. That will never be enough. That's why miracles, I think, are a bad I'll say it this way, a bad apologetic for convincing people that God is God. Because it doesn't, it doesn't that, was, that was the point, even when Jesus feeds all the people with the, with the bread, and he, remember he says, you're, you're not here because you understand who I am, you're here because you're hungry and you want to see another spectacular thing happen, right? And, and then he condemns them because he says, you're seeking a sign. You Jews are here, and I've done all these things. He said, you won't have another sign except for the one that I'm going to give you, which is I'll die, be in the tomb for three days, and then rise again, which was the sign of, of Jonah. This is what he said. So he said, there's going to be a sign. It's going to point to who I am, but you're not perceiving all of the stuff that I'm like. So here's the, here's the idea. It, it doesn't matter what you can see with your eyes. It will never be enough or a replacement for, for faith. It is not faith to see something. We walk by faith, not by if you're, do, if you're walking by sight, it is definitively then not faith. Are you tracking with that? So if you're, if you're waiting for some miracle to convince you or be able to convince other people, then you're actually not inviting people to faith. You're inviting them to sight, which is different. Not, not following what Jesus wants you to actually walk by. Okay? So, so here's the deal. So faith is then the assurance of things hoped for. Um, this, the hope in this case... Um, are, are on totally different planes. We have the hope of the, of the lame beggar, and all he wants is enough money to whatever, have, have money for a day to buy some food. This is, this is the lame man's hope. But then there's like a greater hope that's, that's underneath that, that actually gets offered, that actually gets um, given, right? So, so faith in that kind of hope is, is more important, and that the reality of it, it actually being true, it actually being offered, actually being given, is seen in the fact that the man is healed. So here it is. So for by faith, people of old received their commendations. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Again, pointing, um, can I say this a different way? <laughs> 
So God created all this stuff by his word, so that even though you are standing on, you know, earth that you think of as like concrete and hard and like tangible and physical, it's saying all of this is created by the spoken supernatural word of God out of nothing. And that should generate some kind of different, different action for you. Um, he's pointing to, to faith being not about what we, can, what we can see and what we behold and what we plant our, our feet on. So miracles always, always point to something else. That's um, one part of the sign. The other part is, is the wonder. So um, there's, there's, two, there's two responses to the wonder of, of God in this case. So um, when the man receives the, the healing, he jumps up, right, by, by being lifted up. He jumps up, and what's his, what is his response? What does wonder look like in this man who's received complete healing? He's, he's jumping around. He's praising. He uses this word for leaping, like only occurs here in the whole New Testament, twice on purpose because it's, it's going back to what Isaiah said would be the sign of the kingdom coming, which is that the, there will be layman leaping, and this, here it is, this, this guy showing that the, the kingdom had arrived. So that's his response uh, of wonder, that God had, had done this amazing thing. And then the crowd gathers around, and then we have their response, response of wonder. So the wonder is supposed to generate, if I could say it this way, like sort of a, a curiosity that we could cause, cause, uh, cause others to, to, to behold the thing that they ought to, which is to point, point to Jesus, point everyone to the name of Jesus. So that's the, that's the, uh, the function of the miracle here, and there's going to be more miracles to come. So if I could, if I could align, uh, if I could align the story this way and, and cause you to think about it in, in this way. Whether or not you expect God to to heal people because you pray for them or because you think that he ought to or whatever. Um, I, I think the question you asked before, can he, is what am, what am I actually praying for and why? So Peter doesn't just heal this man for the sake of healing the man. There's a greater purpose underlying it. Do you see it? Do you see the, the purpose that he has the opportunity to witness in among the temple of these people about who Jesus is, to, to give faith on the name of Christ. So this is, this is the greater driving purpose of whatever it is that we seek. So, so that whatever, whatever you're seeking something, even if you expect great things, it ought to be for the motivation of seeing, seeing God glorified, seeing more people in wonder and awe at the name of Christ. Is, is that maybe hopefully realign something for you? I, I don't know. I hope so. Because I don't think that we often think that. I think we are so caught up in the divisibility of a certain situation and our desire to, ha- to see it rectified, which is a good and right thing. If you have compassion on, on situations where you see somebody suffering or, or hardship, or of course, of course that should move you to want them to be better or to help them to be well, or to pray for them. But seeing that as the ultimate healing is, falls well short of what you have that you could give others. Right? And so, so you, have to, you have to find a greater driving purpose behind that rather than, well, I hope this person's well for maybe a good 40 years and then they die again. Without ever actually 
Experiencing, see, if we were always fulfilling people's wants instead of their needs, then they would never recognize the need. Are you, are you seeing the, the absolute necessity of there being a bigger purpose behind any miracle? Okay? So, so the flippancy with which there's healing services and faith healers and Benny Hens and whatever else, like, that's nonsense and is, it makes a mockery of what God's actual purposes are in healing and moving in the power of the Spirit. Right? Because it puts focus on, on them and not on, on the, the primary thing, which is the authenticity of the message that all, salvation only found in the name of Jesus. Okay? And so, um, so hopefully, I, I would just, it was more of like a primer to realign our, our thoughts and our hearts around when this miracle happens, what is it that's actually happening? And what is it that we were supposed to see through that? Okay? So, um, I wanted to say one more thing, and I'm just going to say it. So, here's what I think is um, sort of spectacular about this, this thing that you don't, really, you don't really see it until you back up and you look at the whole, the whole narrative. And so the question I ask myself is, uh, what, does, what, does a, what does a community, what does a church look like, what do a people look like when, when the one thing our focus should be on is actually there? And it, it would be like, if, if, if Jesus is truly central to your life and he's central to our community, that means everybody is looking at the one thing that should capture all of our attention. All of our attention should be on Jesus, right? All of, all of your effort, all of your desire, all of everything that you do should focus on that. And if you had a community of people that were surrounding that and everybody's attention was central to this one thing, what would that look like? Well, it would look a lot like um, how God told the Israelites to camp around the presence of God in, in the wilderness. Right? G, G, uh, when, when they make this tent out in the wilderness and there's all these specific, you know, instructions, how to build this and that, and uh, there's a cool connection here with the gate next week, but we have this people and, it, and then... They're not only told that this, this uh, you know, structure is supposed to be facing a certain way and all that, but then they're told how to camp, and there's, there's 12 tribes, and they're all supposed to camp. And when you read it, it what, what ends up happening is you have a, a bunch of people that are camped around a, a central piece, and, and that's the fixture of what everybody does. So that everybody's facing inward, in, not, not in a clickish way, but in a way to focus your attention on the one thing that's keeping you alive. The one thing that your focus should be on. The one thing that you need. Are, are you seeing? Um, okay, so, so there's that. And then you have here in the temple. The temple sort of sits in the center part of the city of Jerusalem. And, and that everybody is, has access to this one place. And that's where Peter and John go to spread the, to spread the name of Jesus. To spread the central thing. And so, so here's what I want to say with that. The church, again, is not the centerpiece of, of culture. It's not the centerpiece of society. It is, hopefully for you, but you have to realize that you're carrying what, what can and should be the, center, the centerpiece of, of, of everyone's life if they mean to have any relationship with God. And we have to carry that into other places that people do see as central. And I, I, don't, I don't know, short of begging you, 
Evangelism cannot happen in this room. You are God's witnesses to the world, just as Peter and John and all the rest of the apostles are called witnesses. Wherever you go, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that other people are focusing their attention on, your job as a witness is to point to, to, point to what is central for you and what can be for them. Stop focusing on the small thing that may seem spectacular, may seem important to the greater purpose, which is fixing other people's eyes on Christ. Let me pray. Father, this morning we... Um, my heart is that uh, we're challenged to ask where our attention might, um, might be otherwise focused. Or even if we found or we've sought other things that we think would be more spectacular, some greater witness to you, that um, we would deepen and um, broaden our, our gaze beyond uh, what's temporal and what is fleeting and what changes, what evaporates to the one foundation.